Lord, we call upon Your Holy Spirit to, to emphasize, highlight, encourage, stir the speaker to present the Scripture in a way that's needed this day, as well as prepare the listener for what You have to say this day to the church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our readings this morning come from, both of them are New Testament readings, but one's from the Gospel, Matthew chapter 2, and the other is from the Epistles, Ephesians. I got a little excited about Ephesians, and so I said it was chapter 3, when actually it's chapter 1, verse 3. But, you know, that happens sometimes when you're you're, you're following, I'm following and reading. So, but um, Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14, Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. So, uh, let me move my Bible right here. So, Matthew, Matthew 2 is, it is that wonderful story of the three wise men, the three magi, the three astrologers, the three guys, as I like to call them. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then... Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the, child, where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. We now turn to the letter to the church in Ephesus. And we will begin with, in chapter 1, chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Paul wrote to the people of Ephesus, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him 
before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. May God bless the reading of this word. So this morning, as every morning, I hand out the, the uh, or distribute the activity bulletin. And I looked at this activity bulletin and I said, and, and I, I, I come up with the questions under the Scripture trivia based on whatever hits me at the time that I'm reading the passage. And, and so I came up to it and I got about to the fourth, fourth question. I said, hold on a second. This is the outline for my sermon. I said, you know what? I'm just going to use the activity bulletin as my sermon. So I'm going to travel through the activity bulletin for those of you who had one or picked it up, and I'm going to answer every one of these questions because it actually is a very good outline for a sermon. So the question is, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Because that leads to an understanding of this passage. And the particular passage that the particular verse that stands out to me this morning is that number five he predestined us for adoption through jesus christ according to the purpose of his will he predestined us Hmm. but does it matter does it matter to anyone does it matter to anyone who your dad is does it it really matter does anybody ask you who's your dad you know, when you introduce yourself, you know, like you're down at the hardware store, you know. I'm always the stranger wherever I go. Always the stranger. So I walk into the hardware store, and I might be wandering around, because hardware stores for me are like toy stores. And so I'm wandering around looking at stuff, and somebody always goes, can I help you? And I'm always like, no, I'm just browsing. I always end up buying something. Just ask Christy. 
I'm always end up buying something. I go to a hardware store and I didn't mean to buy anything. I was just having fun. And I'll walk out with something. But the point is, is that think about when you meet somebody. You know, when you want to, you want to have a more intimate conversation. So you go, well, what's your name? You know, and, I'll, and they'll tell me or I'll see their name tag. And, you know, I, after, I've been in that hardware so, so long. I know people, I don't even have to listen, look at their name tag anymore. I know there's Ricky, you know, and there's Linda. And there's Cindy. I mean, so my point is, is that back in biblical times, that wasn't enough to know a person's name. It was not enough. You needed to know who their father was because that's what gave us all significance. So if you were at the, you know, the the Jerusalem hardware store, you were there to go get something to, to mash some food with. So guess what? When you walked in the door, if you were visiting from Bethlehem, if you were, guess what? It's not enough for you to say, if, when they say, well, what is your name? And I might say, Stephen. And they go, they, and truly, and through, throughout that time, they would go, well, who was your father? And you'd answer. From, in my case, I'd say, Nelson Hodges. And they'd go, what did Nelson Hodges do? I said he was a civil servant. Oh, he was with the government? Did he work for Rome? Oh. So what happens is that you become identified by your father. And if they like what your father did, you're automatically in. If they have a question about your father, you're going to be held at a distance. So it's very, very, very important to know who each other's father was. You remember the story of Ruth in the Bible, of course? You probably turn right to it. Well, guess what? You know what the big deal was? Is that their fathers disappeared. So Ruth has to go find a man because if she doesn't have a man, she doesn't have a father, she's a nobody. Same for men too, but women especially. So she was saved by being married to a man by the name of Boaz. Everything falls into place. It is a world driven by the patriarchs. So therefore, who's your daddy is important. Now, because it was a patriarchal society, because we understand those things, guess what? Even though Jesus is born, born, of Mary. He still needs that father. He still needs that father. But Jesus goes one step further. My father is not a... Jesus' father wasn't a civil servant. Jesus' father wasn't a scribe at the temple. Jesus' father was God. And that set Jesus different from everybody. We all have a daddy. We all have a father. Now, what happens in this story as we go to the third question? Well, today's scripture reading says God predestined us to sonship. What does that mean? God predestined us to have God as our father. Because you know what in life, and I've met many of them, they're not too fond of their father. You don't have to go far before you find a child that's not too fond of their father. 
In fact, they would rather never see their father again. They're not alone. God gives us a gift. You don't need that man. You don't need that person. God is all you need. So God makes this offer that we are predestined to sonship. Which means that the door opens up. Just like for Ruth, the door opened up the riches when she became married to Boaz. We become one with God. We, in the sonship through Jesus Christ, we become one. And so therefore, it opens up the door to the riches, spiritual riches. Spiritual riches. You can just forget about the earthly stuff. You can forget about the transgressions you may have. That's why we have the, the prayer of confession. But you can forget it and just move on. The other good news is you don't need anybody in between. You don't need somebody to speak for you because God has brought you into the family through that predestination into that sonship. So now I've used that ugly word. I've used that ugly word that people have made fun of Presbyterians for forever. Predestination. And that we believe in predestination. Well, what in the world? I'm predestined to be a child of God? What does that mean? What do you think it means? Predestined. Look, look closely at the word. Look closely at, put a hyphen in there. P-R-E hyphen. Destined. What does pre mean? Before. And obviously the next word means the future. So before the future, before the destiny, before God knows where you're going. Well, some people have used that to over, uh, kind of lord it over people and say, well, we're chosen. That implies that perhaps the, speak, the listener is not. It has nothing to do with it. Predestination has nothing to do with I'm in and you're not. It has everything to do with the authority of God. God's the last word. In life, God is the last word. That's what predestination is about. It's the ultimate authority of God. So that last one. So what does predestination say about, say about God? That God is the ultimate authority. Well, why can this be so offensive to people? And this is where the application comes through. Is why is it so offensive to people? It's because that they got stuck on that chosen and not chosen part and, 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 and just could not get their head around the fact that it's about authority. But again, here's another problem for people. Some people cannot live with there being a greater authority than themselves. We are such a self-absorbed culture that we, we want to be the ultimate authority in our life. We want to be the last word in our life. We want to have the say in whatever happens to us. But guess what? We don't. Just in the case of B coming out of the hospice, guess what? I bet you few people thought she'd ever walk out, roll out of that hospice. I bet you few people did. Guess what she did? And I can tell you, God knew it the whole time. God, needed, God knew Steve needed an illustration on January the 2nd is really what it was. So, but the point is, is that it's, it, we rejoice in that, but it just goes to show we know nothing. We know nothing 
Because God is the ultimate authority. And nothing happens that's not within the purview of God. And sometimes that's mighty offensive to people. We are chosen. I prefer to call us the frozen chosen because Presbyterians are so daggone cold. But I've been one since I was born. But the thing is, is that we are chosen. But others are too. It's not, a, it's not a membership. It's not a club. But it speaks to that exceptional authority of God. The ultimate authority of God. Who knew quite well that B was going to come out of the hospice and inspire others and speak to others that the end comes when God calls it. Let us pray. Lord, as we are gathered here on this new day, and we, we, we are gathered here on what I call, the, the, what I celebrate as the epiphany, Lord, it, it perhaps I mean, the, 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 the wise men, the magi, the astrologers, whatever we want to call them, those three guys, when they came and found You, then they knew. Oh, the stars lined up. The story was exactly what they expected. And then they went away rejoicing. Lord, in this day, it's my prayer that someone here will rejoice in the message of this hope. That we don't have to carry that burden anymore. Turn it over to You. For You know how the story ends. And You know that these experiences of ours in this life are not our last experiences. And that You have predestined a glorious, glorious last chapter for us. An eternal chapter. May it be so, and so much more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On this day, as in many Sundays, I turn to the, uh, the bulletin and we look at the Apostles' Creed and we're going to recite it in, in unison. It is a, um, a creed of the church. And it is, it, that you may have issues with it, a piece here or there, but it is a creed of the church. It's what the church itself believes. This communion, this fellowship, this koinonia. So with that, let us confess our faith as we read aloud in unison the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. As we continue this, this part of the worship service, which is our response to the Word, we prepare to, um, to offer up, to give up uh, that which we... Um, have brought, brought as pieces of our um, life blessings from the Lord. And as the ushers get in position, we simply say that 
in the, as I remind you of what Jesus said to His disciples when He was sending them out. Freely you have received. In other words, the blessings you have, my brothers, as He would have, would have referred to them, is you did nothing to earn them. So freely you have received. So therefore, freely give. Ushers, please come forward. Please rise. Matthew, we have these words, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. Lord, we lift up those words for at this time and in this moment we hand over these treasures, treasures that have just passed through us. Return to You for the glory of Your kingdom in this world. Take our gifts and amplify them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen indeed. Please be seated. we return to this table. This morning in Sunday school, we were studying the Philippians, as Wayne helped us remember. And Philippians is about communion. Not this table, but the communion of believers. The body of believers living together. And there was a fancy word that a ch- good churchy word that was one that's been heard in many, from many different areas of church, koinonia. It's, if you were gonna, it's a Greek word, but if you want to spell it in English, it'd be like K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A, koinonia. And it means, for lack of a better, better word, commune. And so, but that's what we were reminded when we come to this table. That's part of being a Christian, is communing. 
We have a very challenge. There's a challenge for the Christian church in the world right now where because of the pandemic, we have been dispersed and we are starting to get the feeling that we do not need to commune in order to worship. But there's something powerful that happens when we gather together, when we share our joys and concerns, when we see a new face return, when we get a chance to, to share the, the issues. Uh, you know, last night, um, Lois Strickler is in the hospital. And last night, um, I got a chance to go and visit her. And we talked for a while. And, you know, I said, yeah, tomorrow's, I'm starting a Sunday school class and tomorrow's communion Sunday. And, you know, and so, and she's just, and her eyes, her eyes started to, to well up because she misses so much. Even for the short time she's been away from us, she misses so much this community, this fellowship, this being together. So I take you here because this is a privilege that God has done. That every time we do this, as Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And it's more than just do this in remembrance of what I did for you or do this in remembrance of what I stood for. But it's like, do this in remembrance of that body of Christ. So as you get ready to come to this table, remember that this is for you. It's not to lift up Jesus Christ. We already did that. But this is for you, that you can hang together and you can make it in this world, that you can be sealed together by the Holy Spirit to go on from here, just as you will be one around this table, you will be one in this world. And that is so badly needed. So now, allow me to return to my script. The Lord Jesus, on the night of His arrest, took bread, and after giving thanks to God, He broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant. The new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Holy God, we praise You. Let the heavens be joyful and the earth be glad. We bless You for creating the world, the whole world, for Your promises in Your people of Israel, for, the, for Jesus Christ in whom Your fullness dwells, born of Mary, He shares our life. Eating with sinners, He welcomes us. Guiding His children, He leads us. Visiting the sick, He heals us. Dying on the cross, He saves us. Risen from the dead, He gives new life. Living with you, He prays for us. With thanksgiving, we take this bread and this cup and proclaim the death and resurrection of our Lord. Receive our sacrifice of praise, O Lord. Pour out Your Holy Spirit upon us that this meal may be a communion in the body and blood of our Lord. Make us one with Christ and with all who share this feast. Unite us in faith. Encourage us with hope. Inspire us to love that we may serve as your faithful disciples until we feast at your table in glory. We praise you, eternal God, through Christ your word made flesh in the holy and life-giving spirit now and forever. Amen.